Our topic this week from Genesis 23 and 25, the death of Sarah and Abraham, uh, subtitle, Nothing is Free. Now this is the 27th sermon uh, in the Abraham series, and probably will be the last one unless something happens between now and next week, <laughs> something else that comes out of the Bible that we could preach out of uh, this section. It's only uh, 14 chapters or 15 chapters or so from uh, Genesis chapter 11 through Genesis 25 uh, that uh, was on the life of Abraham specifically. So as we come to the close of the life of study of Abraham and Sarah, we'll pick up in Genesis 23 verse 1. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Hebron in the land of Canaan and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So Sarah lived in the area of Canaan for about 37 years at this point, and so 90 or so years. No, I'm sorry. Uh, she, no, 60-something years. She was around 65 years old when she left Ur of the Chaldees and, uh, and came uh, to Canaan. And so, yeah, something like 60 or so years living in Canaan, and uh, she dies in the Hebron area, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah. This is the first use of that word mourn, first person that we have reading in the Bible that mourned for someone else. The Bible says that God was grieved that he created the earth uh, back with the flood, uh, but, uh, but here of a human being mourning the loss of someone else. No doubt there were others, no doubt Adam and Eve mourned the loss of um, Abel when, uh, when Cain killed him and the loss of Cain being sent away. But as far as the wording, this is the first place where we have uh, a text of someone missing. And Abraham has been married to Sarah again at least 60 years because they were married when they came. We don't know how long they were married before that. And Abraham and Sarah were brother and sister, half brother and sister. And so... Uh, Abraham had known Sarah her whole entire life, and uh, so forth. 127 years, Sarah knew Abraham, and so obviously they were very, very close. And so if any of us have lost a sibling, a brother or a sister that we were close to, or a spouse of 60 or more years, um, or a combination of that, uh, we can uh, begin to imagine what the type of grief that Abraham began to mourn. Now, it doesn't mention Isaac here at this point, Isaac coming on the scene, actually, anywhere through this chapter, uh, which is interesting. So Isaac might not have had the opportunity or to mourn the way that Abraham did. Um, and then in the next chapter, which we've already looked at, uh, Isaac, uh, it says that Isaac, Rebecca is brought to Isaac and he gets married and he is comforted in his, from his mother's death, from his grieving his mother the loss of his mother. And that's three years later. And so he went on and continued to grieve for three years the loss of his mother, the death of his mother. Uh, it says that Sarah's tent was still there, still erected, and that he bought, brought Rebecca into his mother's tent. And so uh, it does not seem like he had the opportunity to really properly grieve all the way through. Um, and then it's not until the time of Joseph, Joseph grieving for his father Jacob, 
that we have the experience of sitting Shiva, where the Bible specifically says that Jacob grieved for seven days, a tradition that's continued to this time of grieving for seven days after the death of a close loved one. And, uh, and so, again, no mention of Isaac really having this opportunity, not coming, as we'll see in these next verses, in participating in the burial of, uh, of, of his mother, Sarah. And then three years later, he's still grieving it and not comforted until Rebecca is brought to him. Verse three, Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Even just the wording is just very sad. That uh, He stood up from before his dead, so he might have even carried Sarah to, uh, to the sons of Heth and then you know, maybe laid her down. We can almost kind of picture him you know, kneeling down and laying her down and then standing back up. And so Sarah's a dead body there before him and to, he wants to bury her out of his sight. Uh, um, and he calls himself a foreigner and a visitor among you. And he's been in this land for 60 something years and still considered by himself and by them as a foreigner and stranger in the land. And he asks for them to give him a, proper, a property for a burial place among them. Verse five, the sons of Heth answered Abraham saying, hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place that you may bury your dead. That was very nice, that was very generous, very kind of them. And obviously uh, Abraham had good interactions with them and that uh, doesn't happen by chance. Uh, we've seen over and over again, Abraham was a man of character uh, in all of his dealings, uh, even with his enemies and, and uh, frenemies and, and his friends. He made allies in the land where he was. Verse seven, Abraham bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth, and he spoke with them saying, if it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephraim for me that he may give me the cave of Mechpala, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at full price as property for a burial place among you. And so three times in a row, he uses this word, give me a property. And he mentions a specific piece of land, the end of a field, a cave there. Obviously he's familiar with it for whatever reason, however, he knew about it, and, uh, and then he also says to give it to me at full price. Now, in our culture today, uh, giving something and paying full price are totally opposite, right? Uh, total opposition to each other, right? You can't pay for a gift, um, and if you paid for it, it's not considered a gift, right? And, uh, and so here he says this word three times, give, 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 and yet I will pay full price for it. Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of the city saying, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you 
in the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. So Abraham said three times, give it to me. Ephraim responds three times, I give it to you. Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land and he spoke to Ephraim in the hearing of the people of the land saying, if you will give it, please hear me, I will give you money for the field. Take it from me and I will bury my dead. Again, give it to me, but I will pay you. I'll give you money for it. How does Ephraim respond to that? You know, so often in our culture, someone's giving you a gift, you want to pay for it, you know. No, 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 they'll resist. No, I think I'll give it to you, right? So how does Ephraim respond? Ephraim answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. So he gives them the value of the land. In verse 16, Abraham listened to Ephraim, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephraim, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So Abraham listened to Ephraim. He heard what he was saying when he says, 400 shekels, but what is that between friends, right? What is that between you and me? Abraham listened and he heard what he was really saying. I give it to you, I give it to you, I give it to you. And it's worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between us? He heard what he was really saying. And what he was really saying was, you can have it for 400 shekels of silver. <laughs> and so Abraham pulled out 400 shekels of silver. I guess, you know, he was expecting this. And, uh, and he pays it. And so Ephraim said, no, 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 no. Oh, I'm not going to take your money. I told you, it's free. I told you, uh, it's a gift. So the field of Ephraim, which was in Machpelah, which was before memory, the field and the cave, which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were therein, all the surrounding borders were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of his city. And so Abraham received a deed of it, received the cave as well as all the land around it, the trees, the fields, everything, the borders. It was officially, legally sold to Abraham. Now this picture that I had in the last slide here, this is not uh, the actual cave, or this is a cave in Israel, a burial cave in Israel, with a stone, a real stone, an ancient stone. Uh, that would be rolled in front of the, um, the caves. But this is not in Hebron. This is not the one that Sarah was buried in. The, the area in Hebron where they uh, say Abraham Sarah was buried uh, looks more like a fortress than, uh, than a cave. Uh, just a big, huge concrete uh, building. Humongous, again, looks literally like a fortress. And so I didn't put a picture of that in. Uh, but here we have record, biblical record, that there was a deed official at the city gate where official uh, things took place and the transferring of the property and the money, thus it was given to Abraham, sold to Abraham 
for the 400 shekels officially, legally, with witnesses, with a deed, with a title, and turned over to him. And Sarah was buried there. So Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave in the field of Machpelah before Mamre, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that was in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. And so twice it mentions this deed, very official. And today, the area over the long period of time, Jews have always lived in Hebron, uh, but over the years, even before Israel became a state, uh, the Arabs would conduct massacres of the Jews and kill Jews that were in that area. Um, and even fairly recently, another attack uh, in the last few years. And so uh, there are Jews living there, but the area today is controlled and mostly populated by Arabs, even though we have biblical record of a deed of it given to Abra to Sarah being buried there, right? Not Hagar, <laughs> right? So not the mother of the, uh, the first one who was buried there was Sarah, so this cave was the burial place for Sarah first and foremost. And the lineage given then, sold then to the lineage of Sarah, not to the lineage of Hagar. But the facts on the ground, the people on the ground, don't match up with proper deeding of the legal land. And so I believe God put this story in there so that we would have the legal account, that we would know who really owns at least that portion, but also the rest of the portions of the land of Israel. And also we see already that nothing is free. Right? I give it, 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 I give it. 400 shekels of silver, here's your 400 shekels of silver. Nothing is free. We might think things are free. We might think things are free, but really nothing is free. Everything costs somebody something. Even if you got a free gift, someone paid for it. Even if the government is giving you money. Barbara just got a notice today that her student loan is totally wiped out. Now, Barbara hasn't been in college in over 40 years, and, and uh, she hasn't had a student loan in that 40 years, but the student loan is wiped out. So the government is giving away free things. Be wary, nothing is free. Nothing is free. Somebody is paying for it, some way, shape, or form. Even our salvation is not free. I mentioned that to someone some, one time, and he said, yes, grace is, not, uh, grace is not cheap, it's free. Well, really, grace is not free. Our salvation cost the blood of Messiah. Our salvation cost the Father giving his Son. A great price was paid for our salvation. And even to us, it's not free. 
It's freely been given. It's been given before we were born. While we were yet sinners, it was given to us. While we were yet enemies of God, it was given to us. Yeshua is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So even before Adam and Eve sinned, the salvation was given to us. Without our permission, without our acceptance or denial, the price was already paid for us. But in order to receive it and benefit from it, a price is paid on our part as well. We have to give something to receive it. We have to let go and give over our sins. We cannot be receiving of God's salvation from sin while we continue to hold on to sin, while we continue in rebellious, open sin. Now, it might seem like a crazy thing to reject the gold so you can hold on to garbage, but that is what we do. And we can't have both. We can't hold on to both at the same time. And so we need to let go of sin, and in letting go of sin, which is just not some kind of mystical or floating around thing, sin is us. We are sin. He became sin for us by becoming us, by taking us into himself. When we sin, we are sinners. We have become sinners. And so he takes us into himself. So thus, to receive the salvation that has been pre-given, we need to give ourselves, to give our carnal nature over to him. That's what killed him. That's what died there. That's what he took into himself. He took you and me, and thus we died in him. Paul references this several times in several different ways. Our old man has been crucified with him. I am crucified with Messiah. Yet nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Messiah liveth in me. Galatians 2.20 Basically, the whole chapter of Romans, the whole imagery of immersion, dying, newness of life, going under the water, coming up to newness of life, that a death to self, a death to the old ways, a death to the carnal nature needs to take place in order for us to receive what he has already given, what he has already poured out for us. So in order to be filled, the jar has to be emptied. And so God has given us an amazing gift, which is way beyond the price that we give in giving our sins, giving our sinful nature, giving our fears, our worries, our angers, our bitterness, our insecurities, our selfishness, our pride. All garbage that does us no good, that doesn't help us at all that causes us pain and sickness and stress, we give it over. 
and then we're able to receive the salvation. And even the giving over, he gives us the ability to give it over. He gives us the gift of repentance. He sends his spirit to bring conviction upon us. If he be lifted up, he will draw all people onto himself. He comes and he draws us and invites us and entreats us by his love. And so he offers us a, an amazing, wonderful offer that is way too good to reject. And he first comes to us. We love him because he first loved us. He first sought out Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned and were hiding. He finds us. We don't find him. We don't come to him. He comes to us and he draws us onto himself. So we don't get any credit for repenting. We don't get any credit for dying in him, accepting our death in him. We don't get any credit or deserve any credit for giving over our sins. He's already paid the price for it. It's already his. This is what it means to believe. It's an acknowledgement of what he's already done. Not just believing in a historical figure of 2,000 years ago. It's believing that he took me into himself and killed the carnal nature. And thus it has no more power over me. It is dead. And thus he said to resurrect a new life in us. That he has done in our behalf. It's a beautiful, wonderful promise. Too many want to hold on to both. Too many want the name, want the title, want the gift, but also want the garbage. Want the gold and the garbage. And there's no room for both. It needs to be a full surrender of all. And I'm really just an accepting of what he has already done. Because we're already dead in him. Again, he did that without our permission. He took us into himself and killed the carnal nature before we were born without our permission. When we accept that, believe that, it becomes a reality in our lives. And thus, the lies of the devil, that we have to be fearful, that we have to be worried, that we have to be selfish, that we have to sin, loses its power because we don't have to. Because we're dead just like Sarah in the story was dead. Dead to self. Dead to the carnal nature. And thus all things become new. And then we walk in newness of life because of the new life God has given to us. Now that new life that he gives to us, he only does with our permission. And he does that in the here and now. So he took us into himself without our permission. He took our sins without our permission. And he did that in the past, before we were born. 
But then the sanctifying, the, the making holy, the transforming process, the living new life, only with our permission. We can reject it. And only by his power. There are many people, so we have the both. We have the choice to accept it, and then he gives us the Holy Spirit the power to do it. There are many people who choose a new life, but don't have the power to change. There are many alcoholics, just for an example, but it could be workaholic, it could be sexaholic, it could be whatever sin you want to mention. But there are many alcoholics that promise they're never going to drink again. (laughs) And then the next day, they don't have the power to follow through with that verbal commitment. So we need the choice and we need the power of the Holy Spirit. But there are many who have the power or have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. But don't choose to use that power and have victory over sin. Don't choose to use that power to say no to the devil. Draw near to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from us. That takes a choice and it takes the power of God takes the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been freely given to us, but we only receive it when we choose. And first emptying, first accepting our death in Messiah, making the vessel empty, and then choosing to be filled and choosing to use that power to say yes to God and no to the devil. And that's God's plan for us. Then after Abraham's death in chapter 5, Genesis 25, Abraham again took a wife and her name was Keturah and she bore him five sons. Now I believe this is mentioned in the Bible because Abraham wanted us to know that Sarah not being able to give birth was not his fault. <laughs> Nothing to do with him. So he wanted to get that in there. <laughs> Look, even at the age of 140, I still got it, right? So he's still still having kids uh, late into his life, right? So five kids. I don't know what he wanted that for, what he wanted another wife for. But uh, but yeah, he has this another wife. We don't know much about it, really. We don't know where she came from. There's a bunch of different theories and things like that. But if we want to go by what the Bible says, we know nothing. (laughs) We know nothing of who their heritage was, who she was, what she was. But that she just came onto the scene, takes her as wife, has five sons with her. Verse 5, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son. So he gave everything to Isaac, which would include the deed to the cave. Right? So he didn't give that to Ishmael. He gave everything he had, and he didn't have much. I mean, he had lots of sheep and lots of herds. And, and gold, silver, whatever he had. But as far as land, the only land he owned 
was a cave and a field and some trees. And that would be included in the all that he gave to Isaac. So Isaac inherited the field, not Ishmael. So it belongs to the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then God, Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines. Were they free gifts? No. It was a cost. They had to leave. <laughs> and he sent them away <laughs> from Isaac because, again, he didn't want there to be this comp competition or this war, this battle between them. He knew that the promise of the land was for Isaac. And thus, just as Ishmael had been sent away years prior, these five sons were sent eastward as well. And we really don't know much about them. We don't know what heritage they had. Remember, was it last week, we looked over the sons of uh, Terah and all the different connections and how er everything, the Edomites, the Israelites, the Ammonites, and the Moabites, <laughs> all came from Terah, and all intermarried and all interlocked together in some way, shape, or form, and became nations. We don't know about these five sons, what they ended up having uh, for kids in lineage uh, either, or what happened to them. Genesis 25, verse 7. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. And there Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife. It's 175 years, so he outlives Sarah by about 40 years. It says a good old age. I don't know why it says a good old age. Shem, before him, nine generations before him, lived 600 years. <laughs> Shem almost lived as long as Abraham. Shem died just a little few years before Abraham did. I guess for his time, as humanity was degrading more and more, since the time of the flood, 175 years, good old age, full of years, gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him. Now, how did Ishmael know about Abraham's death? Isaac would have had to send messages, a message to Ishmael to do so. Now, Isaac at this point is 75 years old or so. And so I think that was a very, again, we didn't had no mention of Isaac being there when the cave was being bartered over or purchased. We don't have any mention of Isaac there participating in the burial. And then we have where it was three years, he's still grieving his mother. And so this time, he does something a little different. He invites his brother to come and participate in the burial, his half-brother. Ishmael. But again, it's a very nice gesture on his part. He didn't have to do that. He inherited everything, but he chose. We don't know about the other five sons. Maybe he invited them. Maybe they didn't show up for whatever reason. But he invites Ishmael. Ishmael comes, and the two of them together 
bury him. And where two or more are gathered, God is there in our midst. And so they had a memorial service for Abraham. Again, more than was just bury Sarah out of my sight. Two of them came together. I took planning and preparation and travel and communication. So it was something that went into it. So it's definitely more of a service than Abraham had for Sarah. And it's important as we go through grieving, when we have the death of a loved one, to pause and to experience that grief, to say goodbye, and to properly grieve the experience. Now we did a whole series on grief and depression uh, here, and we have that online um, at shalomadventure.com, depressed people of the Bible in book form and in video series form. There's three chapters in the book and three messages specifically on grieving because it's such an important matter to do properly and such an important matter through the Bible. And here again, we see in these two chapters, this mourning and this grieving and this process taking place and this mention of it, and Isaac and Ishmael burying him together. And we don't know what happened with Ishmael. We don't know if he came to faith. I believe that he was taught the right way. He was still with Abraham till the age of 13 or no, uh, yeah, 13 or so. And, uh, and so he might have had a knowledge of the faith. God worked a miracle in his life, several miracles in his life that kept him alive. So I'd like to believe that he came to faith, that he accepted Ishmael, Isaac's invitation, that he wanted to come and pay respect to Abraham and the God of Abraham. Now we know his lineage uh, was not so great after that. I'd like to believe that he himself, at least at this point in his life, came to faith and joined with Isaac in a memorial service for their father and honoring Abraham and honoring the God of Abraham. And so it's good for us in our lives to grieve and grieve properly. And it's good in our lives to accept our death daily in the Lord and surrender daily to him and to honor God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, honor the Messiah by living rightly for him, honoring his death that was given in our behalf. The best way we can show our love and appreciation for his death in our behalf is by allowing his Holy Spirit to live in us, through us, for us, by his power, living out his life out of us. And so as we pause to pray, if there is some area in your life, maybe someone died and you didn't have an opportunity to grieve it properly, maybe like Isaac three years later, or maybe even more, you're still grieving the loss of that loved one because you didn't properly grieve it when it happened. Never too late. A moment right now. Ask God to give you the ability to let go and grieve that loved one.
Also, secondly, if you have not yet accepted your death in the Messiah, have not accepted his sacrifice in your behalf, not accepted your death in him, you're still living for sin, still living for this world, still living for the things of this world, and maybe just in one area. Then the moment we pray, I invite you to surrender that area, surrender that sin, give it over to him, let go of it. He's already purchased it. It's already his, it already belongs to him. So stop stealing from him. Stop holding back what is his and let go of it and accept the power of the Holy Spirit. Choose to receive the power of the Holy Spirit to give you victory in that area of your life. Third, if you have surrendered your life to the Lord in the past, I invite you to resurrender. But if you've been living a life of not choosing to use that power, to use the power of the Holy Spirit, to resist the devil, to draw near to God and to resist the devil, then a moment when we pray, Ask God to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to give you victory and to move you forward to share his word with others and to go boldly and powerfully in loving others for his truth. If any of those areas apply to you, let us pray. Our Lord, our God, our ruler, our king, we are thankful for your love and we are thankful for your pre-love for us. We're thankful, Lord, that you've taken our sins upon yourself. Thank you that you became sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in you. We choose to accept that. Accept your death and accept your life. Accept our death and accept your life. Thank you. Live in us and through us. Empower us, give us right minds, give us right choices. Live in us both to will, to choose, and to do your power. Give us the ability to grieve. We thank you for the lives that you've given us. We thank you for the people you've placed in our lives. Thank for the time that we've had for them, with them. We choose to let go and surrender them into your hand, awaiting upon the judgment. And we choose to live for you, to honor you, and so that we may see our dead loved ones who've died in you at the resurrection. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.